to the Tech.eu podcast. My name is uh, Robin Walters. I'm the founding editor of Tech.eu and you are listening to episode number 79 of this podcast. And in this edition, I'll be talking about some of the takeaways from our recent funding and exits report, the third quarter of 2017. We're also going to talk about the impending IPO of uh, HelloFresh in Germany, a couple of interesting movements in the UK investor landscape, and also about Amazon's recent troubles with the European Commission. We are also featuring a recent interview done with Alexander Nix, who is the CEO of UK-based Cambridge Analytica. And that's the data science company that a lot of people are claiming we have to thank for the fact that Donald Trump was elected president of the United States. So that's for later. First up... How did the European tech industry do in Q3 of this year? Well, in terms of funding, very well, in fact. Uh, for the second quarter in a row, European tech funding has broken previous records. Total funding tracked by Tech.eu for tech startups in Europe, Israel, uh, Turkey, and Russia rose to about 7.7 .7 billion euros in the third quarter. This is across about 865 deals. Uh, and it's uh, 1 billion euros more than was raised in Q2 2017, so the quarter before. And it's also a 117% increase from the same period last year when total funding reached only 3.5 billion euros. So that's a good sign. If Q2 and Q3 2017 are any indication, European tech funding is on a serious upward swing. It's an increase that can be attributed to several large rounds. There were about seven deals worth over 100 million euros and 133 over 10 million euros and outstanding quarters for several countries, uh, the UK, Israel, Germany and Switzerland uh, each experienced their highest quarters on record for tech funding in Q3 2017, according to our data analysis. So when it comes to exits, on the other hand, meaning M&A transactions and IPOs, the third quarter of this year was actually more or less average in Europe. Although there were more deals than in most previous quarters, total exit volume actually decreased to just 25 billion euros in Q3 2017, which is a 47% year-over-year decrease. But that's largely to a number of really, really big deals that happened in the third and the fourth quarter last year. So that has a huge effect and skews the numbers a little bit. And we should also point, point out that exit volume actually did rise 200% uh, quarter over quarter, from only 8.3 billion euros in Q2 2017. So it's a bit of a mixed bag, but overall, nothing to worry about. We'll see how the European tech se sector fares in Q4. But one thing we are following very closely is the impending IPO of HelloFresh. That's the German meal delivery startup. They actually had plans to go public around this time two years ago already, uh, but those plans obviously didn't quite pan out. But now the Berlin-based company is going for it. Uh, HelloFresh will be going public on the 2nd of November, giving itself a rather generous valuation ahead of the IPO, uh, 1.8 billion uh, US dollars to be exact. And the company's CEO, Dominic Richter, he said that the company aims to become the clear number one player on the US market in 2018, which is quite ambitious. Uh, HelloFresh has about 1.3 million active customers and is seeking to break even within the next 15 months, he added. So that means the company is still making a loss. HelloFresh is offering shares worth up to 357 million euros, uh, which is about 421 US dollars in its stock market flotation. So we'll be watching that very closely. 
In other news, a UK-based investment company, Draper Esprit, which is actually also publicly listed, unusually for a venture capital firm, is also making a couple of interesting moves lately. First off, the VC firm announced that it will invest up to $100 million in seed funds across Europe over the next five years. Thus far, Draper Esprit is committed to investing in SeedCamp and Episode 1 Ventures, and they've also previously invested in equity crowdfunding platforms, Seeders uh, and Crowdcube. Interestingly, the firm then followed up with the announcement that it has actually acquired two of SeedCamp's funds for 20 million euros. More specifically, Draper Esprit has acquired SeedCamp funds 1 and 2, and they include a stake in TransferWise, uh, which is a very, very good discounted stake they got to acquire there, and a number of smaller startups like uh, Codacy, Erpley, uh, and Winnow among others. Um, according to SeedCamp, the sale of its first two funds uh, delivers a 4x return to its investors. So it's a pretty good deal all around, I think, but very interesting move. And now uh, let us listen to my recent interview with Cambridge Analytica CEO, Alexander Nix, who I sat down with during the recent IT Arena event that took place in Lviv, Ukraine. Hey, this is Robin Walters, and I'm here at IT Arena, which is a conference in Lviv, Ukraine. And I'm sitting down with Alexander Nix, who is the CEO of Cambridge Analytica. Uh, what's Cambridge Analytica? Hi, Robin. A pleasure to be speaking to you. So Cambridge is a, a data-driven marketing firm. Uh, we use big data and predictive analytics to try and understand audiences at a very individual level. We're trying to make brands uh, more personal. And uh, we do this across a number of sectors, uh, specifically in, in the political arena and in the government and defense space, and also uh, working for big brands and commercial organizations. Can you briefly explain the, the history of the company, where it was founded, when, uh, how big it is uh, currently, etc.? Certainly. So the, the company was founded in the late 80s. We set up an academic think tank to try and understand how we could augment creativity with science to really understand how to, to influence behavior and uh, to drive behavioral outcomes, uh, particularly working in the, in the social arena, trying to look at health issues and development issues. Uh, over the next number of years, we started to apply our methodology towards political campaigns, um, uh, trying to understand how we could uh, increase the turnout or uh, the vote in favor of our clients and candidates. And um, uh, over the last uh, 10 years or so, we started to work in the brand space. This is where the majority of our business comes from. Uh, this is you know, working across uh, all sectors from FM, CG to automotive to financial services and retail and everything else. Right. And how big is the company today? Uh, we have main offices in London and in New York and, and D.C. Um, we have uh, good operations in, in India and in Mexico. We probably have about another 14 offices. We just opened an office um, in the last few months in, in China as well. Um, you've been mostly known or, or mostly uh, getting attention from media about the, the political arena in specific, but is that the biggest part of your business as well? Or what's the ratio? Yeah, so look, political contracts typically attract a lot of attention uh, simply because of the nature of politics. Uh, they are binary and uh, they, they, they do tend to suck all the oxygen out of the room, at least at least for, for a period. But actually, although we undertake seven or eight national elections every year for prime minister or president, we that probably only contributes about 20 or 25 percent to our revenue for the company, about another 25 in the government and defense space with the balance being uh, in the consumer and brand space. Can you briefly walk me through how that will work, like a, a political party or, or a person running for, for a certain position in office? Um, how long do they have to work with you? In what capacity? What do you need from them? Um, how does this work? 
Well, in an ideal scenario, we would hope to engage with a client up to two years beforehand. If that's assuming that, that they haven't invested in any of this type of technology historically. What we're trying to do is uh, to help them to build up a database of um, all adults uh, or all voters, eligible voters in a country, uh, such that we can begin to understand the consumer and lifestyle attributes of these people, as well as their demographics and geographics and media consumption and, and so forth. And uh, we typically would, would try, therefore, and, and acquire or license uh, any publicly available data. We would augment this with a lot of first-party research, as well as any political data. And we'd use these data to build models so we could start to make predictions about different audience groups, such as um, who they're likely to vote for, whether indeed they're likely to vote at all, what issues they might care about, uh, and so forth. You mentioned that you have uh, already a few decades of history in the company, um, which also means that you've seen the media landscape and media consumption uh, in general uh, change a lot, um, most recently with you know, instant messaging, social network. Um, how do you see this uh, developing in the future? Well, look, I don't think data is going to go away. Uh, I think that data um, obviously is growing exponentially. Uh, as we move towards an era of IoT, the Internet of Things is going to, to, to fuel the amount of available data, uh, you know, whether it's um, sensors on our fridges or, or smart TVs or, or on our cars. Uh, data is going to become ubiquitous. It really is going to be everywhere. And so that's very good for analytics firms like us. But equally, I see other technologies like uh, distributed ledger technology, blockchain, technology, uh, helping to provide more accountability and more transparency for how data is applied and uh, for making sure that, uh, that um, uh, you know, analytics companies are being responsible in their use of data. And as a company, I assume you keep track of uh, all the innovations going on in this space. Uh, do you actively plan to make investments, acquisitions um, in startups? Yes, I mean, we're growing um, quite substantially and have, have grown over the last um, five or six years very rapidly. But we always try and look to augment our, our organic growth uh, through acquisition. We're particularly interested in, in the digital space and in the television space, how data is driving television, both addressable TV and optimized linear broadcast television. So these are areas that we're, we're looking at uh, um, technology product providers and service providers to see if we can, uh, can uh, help, help to scale our, our offering. Uh, more rapidly right and um, what's your biggest challenge today what's your biggest problem well i think our biggest problem is is finding talent you know really top quality data scientists are very hard to find and they're under enormous demand uh, from from you know financial services sector through through to obviously the media and 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 really very many sectors so identifying and finding these talented individuals attracting them retaining them is something that we put a lot of time and, and resources into And uh, you mentioned media, but who are your direct competitors that are trying to keep this talent from joining you? Well, it depends what sector. So because because our company is focused across three very different sectors, I mean, we look at different companies, both as competitors, but also for inspiration. So in the government and, and uh, defense space, clearly the market leaders are companies such as Palantir, who were very much the first movers and, and have um, you know been providing services, to, to especially to the US government for, for nearly a, um, a decade. Of course, in, in the brand and, and consumer space, we look at companies such as 
Dunhumby, uh, which was one of the early pioneers of, of um, retail analytics in the UK, and then uh, companies such as Zaxis, which is part of WPP Group. And in the political arena, uh, we look at the democratic uh, analytics firms such as um, Civas or Blue Labs and, and the work they did for, for Obama and later Hillary. Um, and you know, obviously, they're pioneering, pioneering some good tech as well. Now, this is something I've been, been thinking about as well. Like when you enter a certain market, when there's an election campaign, could you feasibly work with the two parties or do you have some sort of exclusivity with, with one side, like in the US in particular? So we can work for multiple campaigns um, within a political party, but we we can never divide our company and work against each other. I mean, I just think that the clients would find that unethical and it would be extremely difficult for us to to, to manage that, um, you know, objectively. Um, so uh, we, we pick a side, um, you know, we offer our services uh, to, to, to one or both sides. But once we've uh, signed a contract with with a client, of course, we, 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 we're faithful to them and, and, and won't even continue consider working with anyone else well in the u.s you picked the the winning side which you get a fair uh, share of criticism some people hold you responsible for uh, the election of trump and, and everything that followed um how do you respond to that criticism well look we're a tech company and as a tech company we're really excited to be trying to to, to break down the boundaries in innovation um, we don't see ourselves as a political company at all uh, most of the people in 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 our offices are largely academics or come from a- academic backgrounds Politics is a very small part of our overall business. Um, it just happens that uh, Trump is, or you know, is quite a polarizing character, and uh, a lot of the more liberal media and certainly Democrats uh, are struggling to comprehend or come to terms with the, the defeat of Hillary Clinton. And so, uh, you know, they, they've decided to lash out at, at anyone that was involved in the Trump campaign, um, including the candidate himself, and of course, of course, Cambridge Analytica. What are some of the the election campaigns of the the countries that you're currently working? Well, unfortunately, we, we, we really don't talk about live campaigns, but I mean, I can tell you we're, we're currently working on six campaigns. Uh, three of those are in Europe, one, one in uh, Latin America and a couple in Asia. So we're pretty uh, spread pretty thin at the moment. Um, so it's going to be an interesting, interesting end of year. Uh, which one aren't you involved in that you wish you were? <laughs> well, that's an interesting question. Look, I, 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 obviously, I was watching the, the German election with great interest. I think that had we been involved or had companies like Cambridge been involved in that, then you know, the, the, the rise of the AFD would not have been such a surprise. Uh, I mean, I think there was, uh, it would have been eminently possible to, to understand that and to predict that. And obviously, if the parties um, had wanted to, 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 to address that, the fact that it was such a surprise um, really shows that, 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 that none of the German parties were using modern campaign techniques. Right. Well, Alexander, thank you so much for your time and best of luck with the company. Thank you, Robin, very much. Yep, that was some uh, interesting stuff, I dare say. So just in case you missed it in other recent news, American e-commerce and cloud computing giant Amazon has run into quite a lot of trouble with the European Commission. Amazon must repay 250 million euros to Luxembourg, according to the commission, uh, which found that the company had received illegal tax benefits. Uh, led by competition commissioner Margrethe Vestager, uh, the European Commission's conclusion read that Amazon was granted tax benefits from Luxembourg worth 
250 million euros, which is deemed illegal under EU state aid rules as Amazon paid much, much lower taxes than other companies did in Luxembourg. So this is only the latest chapter in the EU's fight to have digital businesses, which are predominantly headquartered in the United States, to pay their fair share of taxes to European governments. Uh, countries like Ireland and Luxembourg are quite notorious for tax loopholes that allow for multinationals to operate in the EU single market, but not pay taxes where they generate profits, predominantly through intellectual property loopholes. Um, Europe's finance ministers, meanwhile, they've agreed to reach a final position on digital taxation by December. The Commission is expected to come forward with uh, a number of concrete legislative uh, proposals based on those conclusions. So we'll be watching that very closely as well. All right, dear listener, that's it for this episode. I uh, genuinely hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we're always happy to receive feedback or suggestions for topics or people we should interview for the podcast. So please do not hesitate to get in touch. I also want to point out that we're currently looking for partners and sponsors for Mobile Sunday. It's an annual event. It's the Sunday before Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, which is happening in February. Mobile Sunday will take place on the 25th of February, 2018. We're currently looking for partners and sponsors so we have a really good offering so if you're interested please do let us know you can get in touch with us just through the contact form on the website uh, tech.eu and uh, we'll be sure to respond very very quickly thank you so much for listening if you haven't subscribed yet you can do so on itunes or soundcloud you can also follow tech.eu on twitter we're at tech underscore eu and we're of course also active on facebook and linkedin and also on instagram lately keep listening please and tell your friends until next time this is robin waters Check it out.